You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Thank you. Thank you. Water has always been my healing place. So thank you for that reminder and that reminder to head on back to the river. So good morning. Good morning and welcome to this community of beauty and connection where people have been coming for generations for nourishment and care and inspiration and community. Welcome to everyone joining us in person. Welcome to everybody joining us online. It is so good to be together in all the ways we can be. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of the ministers here at First Universalist Church, where we welcome one and all. I'm especially glad to be together on this Labor Day weekend, this time when we remember with gratitude those who came before us and those who are working still to create a world where people and all beings are more than a means to an end in a profit-making machine, where children and immigrants, black and brown and indigenous people and all those with less access to power and resources are treated as human and holy. This morning, we create a space of rest, a space of pause, of community, where we claim that we are more than our work, that beauty and music and poetry and story and sharing in sorrow and joy and quiet and connection as a community are essential for all of us. Universalism means that we are all welcome and wanted, all whole and holy and worthy exactly as we are, all of us still with room to grow. Here in this church, we believe in the spirit of love and hope and we trust in the cycles of giving and receiving and growing together. We put our faith into action in particular ways here by listening deeply to where love is calling us next, by welcoming, affirming, and protecting the light in each human heart, and by working together with courage and compassion and humility in service to justice. We do all of this as a community committed to ending oppression in all of its forms, and building a community of joy and liberation for us all. So here, as we gather in person, we remember, of course, that we care for ourselves and each other. COVID-19 is still with us, unfortunately, and we are asking everyone to mask inside the building unless you're speaking from the pulpit or leading music or eating or drinking down in the social hall. I want to remind us all that it is okay to move around in the sanctuary. This is a big space. It's okay to move around in the building too. So if you need to wiggle or move, that is just fine. Everyone is welcome here in our bodies. If you're new to First Universalist, a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here again online or in person. Please make a point of introducing yourself to someone if you're willing to do that and to connecting, learning more about the ways we are together in community here. 
I want to lift up one of the ways that you can get connected and that we can work together as a community. We have been partners with Beacon Interfaith Housing Collaborative since 2015, working as a community at church in partnership with them to provide food and shelter for families who are seeking permanent housing. Now, before the pandemic, we were able to do things differently and host families in search of permanent housing here in the church. But with the pandemic, like for so many things, the way that this work is being done has changed. And now what we are being asked to do is to provide meals for a two-week period for folks who are living in a hotel. So this isn't quite the same as it was before, but the need is still just as great. There's a sign-up genius that you can find on our website. There are in the newsletter, there are opportunities to join together and make food here on September 6th and 13th if you want to do that in community. There are opportunities to deliver food out to Chaska to the place where folks are staying. Please, let's get some homemade meals out to folks who are in need of care in our community. I want to remind us too that next Sunday we go back to having services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So we'll be at two services. At the 11 a.m. service will be our online service. And we are inviting you to bring water from your home next week for our annual in-gathering water communion service from wherever you call home. I want to say thank you for those last week we were having some serious audio trouble online and I want to say thank you to the folks who worked with us so kindly and graciously as we worked to resolve that issue. So thank you for that. Now, also a reminder that there's childcare available for kiddos who are six months to three years old in the religious education wing and as always, all children are welcome here for the entire service. Now, it is an absolute joy to be able to lead worship this morning with Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, with Laurie Stevens, with Matt Meyer, with John and Jen back in our audio and tech land, with our ushers and greeters who greeted you on your way in if you're here in person. It is so good to get to do this together. And it is a joy to welcome Matt Meyer to our community. Matt is a lifelong Unitarian Universalist with a long background as a musician and worship leader for Unitarian Universalist congregations. Matt lives in Boston, but travels as an itinerant worship leader, bringing the good news of Unitarian Universalism to hundreds of congregations all over the country. He serves as the Director of Operations for Sanctuary Boston, a contemporary UU worship community with rockin' music and engaging worship. Matt recently wrote a children's story, Desmond Gets Free, and it was published last year as a book by Skinner House Press. It recently won a Nautilus Award for social justice in children's fiction, and if you want to pick up a copy for a child or a teacher or a justice maker in your life, they'll be available downstairs in the social hall after the service. We also want to say if money is a barrier to picking up this book for a child in your life or a teacher or a justice maker, please just stop by the table. There are books for sharing there. Everybody should be able to leave with one if you want one. So let's welcome ourselves, our bodies, to this space. Let's take a moment to make yourself comfortable in whatever way works for you. As always, I am remembering my feet on the floor. Take a moment to stretch in any way that's helpful. And if you'd like to join me in three intentional breaths. Breathing in. And breathing out. Breathing in. and breathing out. One more at your own pace, breathing in and breathing out. From this space of connection, we remember that we are but transient beings on this earth, that we are connected through breath, through air, over time, and that this place in particular was inhabited for thousands of years and is inhabited still 
by members of the native nations of this land. We commit ourselves to learning the larger stories of all people, of all the beings of this land, to truth-telling and to repair. I invite you to join me in saying the words we use for the lighting of our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thank you. A reading to call us more deeply into the worship hour together. An excerpt from At the River Clarion by the poet, the writer Mary Oliver. I don't know who God is exactly, but I'll tell you this. I was sitting at the river named Clarion on a water-splashed stone, and all afternoon I listened to the voices of the river talking. Whenever the river, whenever the water struck a stone, it had something to say, and the water itself, and even the mosses trailing under the water. And slowly, very slowly, it became clear to me what they were saying. Said the river, I am part of holiness. And I too, said the stone. And I too, whispered the moss beneath the water. I'd been to the river before, a few times. Don't blame the river that nothing happened quickly. You don't hear such voices in an hour or a day. You don't hear them at all if selfhood has stuffed your ears. And it's difficult to hear anything anyway through all the traffic, the ambition. The wisdom of Mary Oliver. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you... Would you join me in that part? Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she said. Next part goes like this. Cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Let's try that. Cause the sound of the river as it moves across your stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says. Cause the, cause the sound of the river as it moves, as it moves across the stones is the same, is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. I invite you to rise and embody your spirit. We're going to do a lot of singing today. In my own community at Sanctuary Boston, we have a saying, which is, let's begin with some singing. Then we'll have some singing in the middle, and then we'll finish up with some singing later on. But I invite you to do that in whatever way moves you the most. 
If you want to try out some new harmonies, that's great. If you want to dance in the aisles, that's good too. If you just want to sit in silent contemplation and soak in the sound of the room, that's just as good too. And if you want to belt it out like you're alone in the car with the radio, this is your time to do it. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. You can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground. Hear what she says, cause the, cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same, is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Put your roots. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Cause the, cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Put your roots. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says. Cause the sound, cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across your bones. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots. Put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Cause the sound, cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves. If you try it in an 11 part harmony, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says. Cause the sound, cause the sound of the river as it moves across the stones is the same sound as the blood in your body as it moves across the bones. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. Put your roots, put your roots down, put your feet on the ground, you can hear what she says if you listen. You sound good. Let's take a deep breath. You may be seated as you exhale. Today is a service about, about leaving things better off than we found them, and how when we come together in community, we can do that better. We can change the world around us in ways that we could never do just on our own. So I'd love to tell you the story about a mouse named Desmond. Now Desmond lived in the most beautiful meadow in all the land. Every morning, Desmond would wake with the sunrise and spend the whole day long playing in that meadow. And every night, Desmond would go to sleep right in the middle of the meadow under that beautiful starry sky above. One night though, Desmond woke to find that it was still dark out. So he tried to roll over, get more comfortable, and go back to sleep, but something wasn't right. He could hardly move, and his tail, his tail was throbbing with pain. Reaching behind him, he felt that there was, well, some sort of boulder seemed to have fallen just on his tail in the middle of the meadow. He tried pushing with all of his strength on this giant rock behind him, and he tried tugging on his tail with all of his might to get loose. And he tried pushing and tugging and tugging and pushing over and over again. And when he was just about out of breath, he realized that he was stuck. It was no use. Just then, though, he saw another animal passing by through the grass. It was a giraffe. So he called out, Oh, giraffe, it seems that some sort of boulder has fallen just on my tail in the middle of the meadow. If you could use your powerful legs to nudge it even just a few inches in the other direction, I could get free. Well, the giraffe laughed at Desmond the way giraffes do. You silly mouse, he said. That's no boulder that's fallen on your tail. That is an elephant that's fallen asleep on your tail in the middle of the meadow. 
Well, in that case, asked Desmond, if you could just gently nudge the elephant awake and ask him to roll over even just a few inches in the other direction, I could get free. I don't know about that, said the giraffe. I mean, surely you know what they say about letting sleeping elephants lie. I find it's best not to get involved in other animals' business. I find it's best to remain neutral in times like this. Well, said Desmond, I do not appreciate your neutrality. The giraffe wandered off, leaving Desmond alone. So he tried shouting out with all of his voice to wake the giant elephant. But those giant elephant ears at the way other end of that giant elephant body, they were just too far away, and his little mouse voice didn't wake him. Again, he tried pushing on the elephant with all of his strength, and he tried tugging on his tail to get loose with all of his might. And he tried shouting and pushing and tugging and tugging and pushing and shouting over and over and over again. And when he had just about given up, he saw another animal pass by through the grass. It was a gazelle this time, and so he called out, Oh gazelle, it seems that an elephant has fallen asleep just on my tail in the middle of the meadow. If you could just gently wake him up and ask him to roll over even just a few inches in the other direction, I could get free. I don't know about that, said the gazelle. I mean, surely you know what they say about letting sleeping elephants lie. I find it's best not to get involved in other animals' business. I find it's best to remain neutral in times like this. The gazelle wandered off, and, well, Desmond said almost to himself this time, I do not appreciate your neutrality. One last time, Desmond tried shouting with all of his voice. He tried pushing with all of his strength. He tried tugging with all of his might. And he tried shouting and pushing and tugging and tugging and pushing and shouting until he had just about given up for the last time when he saw another animal pass by through the grass. It was a mouse this time. And when he called out, the mouse ran right over and introduced himself. He said, my name is Nelson. What seems to be the problem? Well, no sooner had Desmond explained this situation than Nelson ran all the way to the other end of that giant elephant body. And he shouted up to those giant elephant ears at the top of that giant elephant head, excuse me, it seems you've fallen asleep on my friend's tail in the middle of the meadow. If you could roll over just a few inches in the other direction, he could go free. Well, the elephant heard Nelson's little mouse voice way down on the ground. But his little mouse voice was just a bit too small, and he was just a bit too far away. And to be honest, the elephant, it was just a bit too comfortable. He didn't budge. So Nelson thought for a moment before he ran back to Desmond, and he said, I think I've got an idea. Don't move. And he ran off into the grass leaving a confused look on Desmond's face. But just when Desmond was starting to get worried again, he saw the grass begin to move, and he saw Nelson emerge back through it. And he wasn't alone this time. He saw that Nelson had found three mouse friends. And each of them, they had done their job. They had found another three mouse friends. And the whole group of them, they ran all the way to the other end of that giant elephant body. And one mouse climbed up on the shoulders of another. And another climbed up on her shoulders. And one by one, they made a whole mouse ladder all the way up the back of that giant elephant head. And at last, Nelson climbed up the shoulders of his friends, one by one, carefully, till at last he stood right at the opening of that giant elephant ear. And he shouted with all of his voice, Excuse me! It seems you've fallen asleep on my friend's tail in the middle of the meadow. Roll over! just a few inches so he can go free. Well, his voice was just too close and just too loud to ignore this time. And so the elephant said, <clears throat> but then he rolled over just a few inches in the other direction. Nelson and his friends climbed back down to the ground and they met up with Desmond and the whole group of them, they spent the rest of that day playing together in that meadow. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who passed away just this year, has said that if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you are a liar, for you've already taken sides. You've taken sides with the powerful, and you've taken sides with the oppressor. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that if you say you are neutral 
that isn't true. You're, you've sided with the powerful. And he said, in fact, that if an elephant is standing on the tail of a mouse, the mouse will never appreciate your neutrality. Archbishop Tutu believed in a God who he thought took sides, a God who, who took sides with the widow and with the orphan and with the oppressed everywhere. And in Unitarian Universalism, whether we believe in that same God or not, we have covenanted to create a world of justice and equity and compassion. And that means imagining a world very different than the one we see around us today. And it means that we have to come together to do together what we couldn't do alone, to take sides for justice, to take sides for equity and compassion. And it means that we come together in community to side with love. May it be so, and may we make it so. Thanks for weaving that story, Matt, and for bringing that to all of us. We're going to settle in for some moments of prayer and meditation together. So I invite us to connect again to our breath, to our bodies. I invite us again to settle ourselves, to breathe, to notice the sounds of life, to notice the ground beneath our feet, the space above our heads, the connection that always exists, each to the other. Let's take a moment for those on-purpose breaths again. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in. Breathing out. From this place of pause, this place of connection, we remember those moments when we have been the elephant when we have been the gazelle, when we have been the giraffe, when we have been Desmond, when we have been Nelson, when we have been one part of the gathered community that demands voices are heard and justice is made. We remember that we are all of these animals. We have played all of these parts. We pray that the rest and connection we find here helps us to use our voices for justice, for kindness, for care. We remember with gratitude the generations of people who have worked to bring about fair working conditions, who have reminded us we are more than our work. We come with gratitude for all those who help the voices of those who are under the body of the elephant to be heard. We recognize and remember here the need for pause, for rest and restoration, for a space of story and imagination, of creativity, of dreaming even. A space between the breaths, between the sounds, between the songs, a space where we might imagine a different world, 
a world of love and justice and find our ways to live into it. We remember today all those who are suffering. We remember those in Jackson, Mississippi, in Flint, Michigan, in New York City, those all around the country and all over the world, our siblings who do not have clean water to drink, those who are showering with their mouths shut. We remember that life is moving in its cycles for each and all of us. That we as individuals, as a community, as a world are suffering and healing and growing. And together we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened that the weight of oppression be lightened, that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Amen. Good morning. My name is Lori Stevens, and I'm excited to welcome you into this morning's spiritual practice of generosity. That's right, it's our offering. Uh, every week we sing and we pray and we meditate and we give. And those are all sacred parts of this worship service. And today, our, um, some of the money goes to the church to help keep us doing all the great work that this organization does. And a larger portion of each week's offering goes to a community partner or an organization that does the work out in the community that we agree with, but don't necessarily have the capacity or skills to do ourselves. Today's collection will go to strengthen the work of Augsburg Fairview Academy, an intercultural learning community with a vision for equity and justice right here in Minneapolis. Fairview works to fit each of their students' experiences to their particular learning needs, making the way clearer to succeed in school and bring their greatest dreams to life. We invite you and uh, the offering will now be gratefully received. Ilu lu lu finu nu nu 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 Ilu lu lu finu
sense of belonging like a loving community like a home is something that we can create by hand and in the spirit of making home by hand we offer you this abbreviated list of 250 things an architect should know <laughs> written by Michael Sorkin a professor of architecture at City College of New York the feel of cool marble under bare feet. The modulus of rupture. The flowering season for azaleas. How to lay bricks. Hydrology is destiny. The color wheel. What the client wants. What the client thinks they want. What the client needs what the client can afford, what the planet can afford. How the pyramids were built and why. The pleasures of the suburbs. The horrors. <laughs> the quality of light passing through ice. The meaninglessness of borders. The reasons for their tenacity the smell of concrete after rain, the angle of the sun at the equinox, and the depth of the aquifer beneath you. How to get lost. The architectural impact of colonialism on the cities of North Africa. A distaste for imperialism. The fire code, the seismic code, the health code. How to listen closely. Who profits? What to refuse to do, even for money. A bit of chemistry and physics. What makes you happy? The acoustical properties of trees and shrubs. Bicycle safety and etiquette. The acoustic performance of Boston Symphony Hall, specifically. The distance at which you can recognize faces. Your neighbors. The capacity of wetlands to attenuate storm surges. The depths of desire. And the heights of folly. This song, There's a River Flowing in My Soul, was written by a woman named Faya Ora Rose Toure, someone who knew the meaning of creating a sense of home, a sense of belonging with her hands, by the work of her hours, by the love of her heart. Faya Ora Rose Toure is not only a songwriter, but also a poet and a playwright and also founded just about a dozen different organizations, mostly for racial justice and other kinds of equity. And in addition to all that, I don't know, I guess in her spare time, she was the first black woman judge in Alabama. 
and she just a few years ago in retirement was arrested for civil disobedience, protesting the construction of a Confederate monument there. Let's sing this song in honor of her and all of those of us among us working to create a sense of belonging, a sense of home that includes everyone by hand. I invite you to rise in body or spirit. There's a river flowing in my soul. There's a river flowing in my soul. And it's telling me that I'm somebody. There's a river flowing in my soul. There's a river flowing in my heart. There's a river flowing in my heart. And it's telling me that I'm somebody. There's a river flowing in my heart, flowing in my mind. There's a river flowing in my mind there's a river flowing in my mind and it's telling me that i'm somebody there's a river flowing in my mind one more in my soul there's a river flowing in my soul there's a river flowing in my soul and it's telling me that i'm somebody there's a river flowing in my soul and it's telling me i'm somebody and it's telling me that i'm somebody and it's telling and it's telling me that i'm some one more and it's telling and it's telling me that i'm somebody there's a river there's a river flowing in my soul let's take a deep breath you may be seated as you exhale I have made my home by three different rivers over the years. I grew up just outside of Chicago, but as a child, my extended family spent some time near here every summer on the St. Croix River, the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin. We have a home there, my extended family, and so we would make the trip the many, many hours, what as a child seemed like an eternity of traveling. And we always called this cabin of wood and stone the lake house. Now the river is wide there, but it is no lake. I was a teenager before I finally recognized this discrepancy. And part of the role of teenagers is to, as we grow and recognize the wider world around us, recognize some of the pieces of the story our parents didn't tell us along the way. Our role is to question things, and so it was with that unique teenage bombast that I said to my mother, you know that this is a river, <laughs> right? Why call it a lake house? And my mom explained the secret to me, which is that the lake is under the river. She explained that the geologists tell us that the St. Croix was a lake, but long ago, thousands of years ago. Learning of the ancient lake beneath the St. Croix, I felt like my mind grew three sizes that day. The world was older than I knew. It was bigger than I had understood, and it was more malleable than I could have imagined. Hydrology is destiny, the architects tell us, but hydrology is history also. It is where we come from, and it is where we are going. 
My great-grandfather built that home. He hired a team of his brothers-in-law, and particularly he enlisted the help of a pile of small children in the family. He put them to work carrying stones up from the beach and laying the mortar in the stairs and the walls. I don't recommend doing your house this way, but the electrical wiring, it was said, could only go as high as the seven-year-olds could reach behind the walls. It's a miracle the house lasted this long without incident. This is the lesson of rivers, though, particularly the waterways where we make our homes and our neighborhoods and civilizations. For a child like me, this was an impossibly old cabin, and it felt like it may as well have been there since the ancient times when the river was a lake. But something about getting older over the years leaves me feeling closer to my great-grandfather rather than farther away. And while my heart is warmed by the longevity of this home, I'm equally heartened to think of a time a time long ago when it was only an idea, when big family gatherings around the dinner table and fires on the beach were only in my ancestors' imaginings. Our times are constant and they are constantly changing like the rivers where we build our homes, history and destiny both. We are living in a time of unpredictability, a time of change in this now third year of this pandemic. I don't know about you, but I keep trying to make plans and I keep learning that we're not there yet. Every few months, every year, there is new medicine, there are changing numbers, there are changing risks. Things are changing constantly. And for me, part of the shock of the beginning of this pandemic two and a half years ago was how quickly things changed. That congregations and giant corporations and even Congress acted quickly. What felt like for the first time in my life they acted quickly to make changes unlike I had ever seen before. For years as an activist trying to make the world at least a little different than I had found it, I had always been told by my elders that change happens slowly, that it takes time, that I should be more patient. But part of the pain of the great shutdown of 2020 was seeing this lie made visible. Change can happen slowly, but it can happen quickly as well when we agree to make it. The lesson of rivers the lesson of handmade homes should remind us to imagine a world different than the one we inherited because change is possible and it is inevitable. Things as they are are not as they were and what is is not what will be. A sense of home, like a sense of belonging, is something we create together by hand. Water heal my body Water, heal my soul When I go down, down to the water And by the water I feel whole As I mentioned, I grew up by the city of Chicago And the city of Chicago grew up at the intersection of Lake Michigan and the Chicago River In the late 1800s though, as the city was being industrialized Pollution became a problem, particularly in the waterways. The Chicago River became so thoroughly polluted that during the Great Chicago Fire of the late 1800s, the water itself caught fire. This is not a good sign. And the problem was, well, one of the problems, was that the putrid waters of the river flowed into Lake Michigan, which was the source of the city's drinking water. The problem became so bad that Chicago became known as typhoid fever city. So the city embarked on a huge project to try and address this increasingly dire situation. They called it the Big Ditch. They dug a canal that reversed the flow of the entire Chicago River. And our river has run backwards ever since. For 130 years now, the river has flowed from Lake Michigan rather than feeding it. And the plan worked. It made for a much cleaner city and it made for much healthier people in Chicago. 
Growing up near the Chicago River, though, I never knew how different it had once been. I knew, of course, that the tall buildings of the incredible Chicago skyline were shaped by human hands. But those same hands, the labor of architects and engineers and everyday workers, shaped the water as well. Things as they are are not as they were, and what is is not what will be. The river had shaped the city, and the city in turn shaped the water. We, each one of us, shape the world around us just as we are shaped by it. That's what it means to live in an interdependent web of all creation. You may be wondering, though, as I did, what exactly happened to all of that waste in the Chicago River once it was suddenly, overnight, headed in the other direction? Well, first, the farmers of Illinois, who overnight found themselves downstream, sued the city of Chicago. And then the entire city of St. Louis, further downstream, sued the city of Chicago. And eventually, the state of Michigan, who relies on the waters of the lake, sued the city of Chicago. They each <laughs> took them to court one after another after another. How perfectly American to deal with waste by sending it downstream to somebody else. The poet Wendell Berry is an incredible farmer who has a special way with words. And he once summed up the great religious traditions of the world in his own environmentalist way by saying, do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you. The wisdom of architects, friends, tells us that borders are meaningless. The wisdom of the rivers confirms it. Rivers are conclusive evidence of the meaninglessness of borders. So is pollution. So are viruses, for that matter. Anyone with a sixth grade science education who has learned the basics of the water cycle knows this truth, that we all live upstream from each other and we all live downstream from each other. Water in all of its forms demonstrates the lie that we are separate. It demonstrates the lie that we can set policies that don't affect our neighbors, that we can draw lines in the sand and divide up the interdependent web of all existence into discrete portions. Why is it that so many of the same people who deny the gravity of climate change also deny the gravity of a global pandemic? Because they are both evidence against the ideology of rugged individualism. They are both conclusive evidence against the myth of our separateness. It turns out that sending sewage west instead of east is no magic. It is not transfiguration. It is only delay. It is sickness afar instead of sickness near. This is the lesson of the riverways where we build our homes, where we find our belonging and create that for each other with our own hands. The lesson is that we are connected and we are all upstream from each other. And we are all downstream from each other. Water, heal my body, water, heal my soul. When I go down, down to the water, by the water I feel whole. When I left the region of the backwards Chicago River, I went to Boston for college. Boston has been so shaped by the waters around it that there was a time when there was only one street to get into the city on dry land, and it wasn't even always dry. The neighborhoods in Boston that were once water include the Back Bay, South Bay, Chinatown, Financial District, Seaport, Thompson Island, Logan Airport, and nearly half of Charlestown. And the Back Bay, the neighborhood where I lived when I first moved to Boston as a student, was created with some particular dedication to this cause. Trains arrived dumping 3,500 railroad cars of gravel into the back bay every day for 50 years to create this neighborhood. The city of Boston, where I live now, the city is made up. The laws, 
were made up by people. The policies and the police were made up. The boundaries and the borders were made up, friends. And the zoning and the transit and the parks and the shorelines in particular were all imagined by people like you and me, and they were made by hand. The good and the bad of it. None of it is natural and none of it was inevitable. These are the stories of my three homes, along a river that flows over a lake, near the river that flows backwards, and living on top of a river of gravel. Water heal my body, water heal my soul. When I go down, down to the water, by the water I feel whole. I learned this song from a friend of mine that participated in the actions at Standing Rock, living there with the water protectors to protect the water and the riverways from the fossil fuel industry, both an immediate threat and a long-term threat. Every morning, I understand, they would go down to the river and they would sing river songs, one after another after another in prayer. And this song was sung to remind each other about our connection to the waterways and how the waterways connect us to every other living thing on this planet, an interdependent web of all existence. This year, like last year before it, has been a year of water. Last year, Massachusetts, where I live, had our wettest July in history, and this year, July was one of our record droughts. The West is facing drought as well, which is in causing increasing wildfires, as we know. The country all around us is drowning and is on fire at the same time. None of it is natural, though, and none of it was inevitable. It doesn't have to be like this. The lesson of the rivers and the lesson of handmade homes should remind us to imagine different, a world different than the one we inherited. Even the things that seem most permanent are constantly in motion. The world around us is constantly changing and we are changing with it, dear ones. This year has been different than the last and next year will be different from this one. The pandemic, like increasing droughts and floods and fires, is a reminder of our beautiful and our terrible interdependence. It's a reminder that we can't draw lines in the natural world, made up lines, and call them borders, and then pretend that we don't have an effect on one another. We can't poison the air and the water and overheat the planet and hope that clever engineering will send the problem downstream to somebody else. We are bound up together, and we all live downstream from each other. But things as they are are not as they were, and what is is not what will be. We know that what is obvious today was unimaginable yesterday, and the rivers remind us that change is possible and inevitable. So let's together imagine something more beautiful and send it downstream. Let's envision an interconnected world that is loving and just and healthy. Let's imagine a more beautiful home together with a sense of belonging for every single person. Let's imagine more equity and justice and make it by hand. Let's imagine a world without borders and make it real. Let's imagine cities and civilizations that thrive in interdependence along the rivers and the waterways that bind us each to each other. Beloveds, do unto those downstream, as you would have those upstream do unto you. Water, heal my body. Water, heal my soul. When I go down, down to the water, and by the water I feel oh, one more time. Water, heal my body. Water, heal my soul. When I go down, down to the water, by the water I feel whole. Our closing song is Where You Go, I Will Go, Beloved. 
I understand that you do this to close out every week. And so I'm just going to teach you a totally different version just to mess with you. But we're also going to take some time to really get into it together. It goes like this. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Let's try that. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. One more time. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Next part goes like this. For your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. You're divine, my divine. Let's try that. Your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. You're divine, my divine. Where you go? Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go for your people. song comes from the book of Ruth, one of very few books in the Bible named for a woman. It comes when Ruth is married into this family, and she's speaking to her mother-in-law. Ruth's husband, as well as her mother-in-law's, Naomi's, have both passed away, and they're both feeling alone. Naomi is going to go on a long journey, and Ruth asks to travel with her. And Naomi says, you don't have to do that. We're not related by blood. You don't owe me that. You don't owe me anything now. And Ruth says, no, your God is my God. We are family now. And where you go, I will go. Where you lie, I will lie. Naomi knows that she might not make it back from this journey, but Ruth decides to travel with her anyway. In Unitarian Universalism, we may not believe in that God that binds us in that way, but being a covenantal faith means that we have agreed to travel together even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it's risky, and certainly when there is work to be done. So I invite you into that spirit of this song to travel together. I invite you to rise in body or spirit. This is a good one to try out some new harmonies on. If the words elude you, feel free to just hum along. Sing as the spirit moves. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go for your, for your people are my people. Your people are
we all live upstream from each other and we all live downstream from each other so let's imagine a more beautiful world and send it downstream to someone else let's imagine more justice and equity and compassion and make it real make it by hand let's imagine a home that is a place of belonging for every single person and make it real do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you and go in peace, and go in love, and go and be blessed as you are a blessing to others. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ. That's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.